0: For Practical E-Commerce, I'm Contributing Editor Kevin Patrick Allen. The Federal Trade Commission has updated its rules concerning endorsements and testimonials in advertising. It's the first update in 30 years, and it's of particular interest to e-commerce merchants and bloggers. Come December 1st, the FTC will require bloggers and other reviewers to disclose any payments or free products they receive from advertisers. Violate the guide and there's the potential for both the blogger and the advertiser to face a fine. Joining us to discuss the issue and provide some insights in this e-commerce conversation is Julie O'Neill with the Washington, D.C. office of the law firm Morrison & Forster. She's a former staff attorney for the FTC in the New York regional office. Julie, first of all, thank you very much for your time
1: my
0: pleasure the uh, recently announced changes to the federal trade commission's guides concerning the use of endorsements and testimonials in advertising is having an effect on bloggers and reviewers could you first of all explain to us what that guide is and second of all explain the changes that do apply to bloggers and reviewers
1: absolutely so first of all the guide is it is a guide it's not a law it's not a rule But uh, folks shouldn't be misled into thinking that the FTC isn't serious about them. Basically, the FTC issues guides in various areas to let companies and here bloggers know how it intends to enforce the Federal Trade Commission Act, the FTC Act, with respect to certain practices. And so, as you may know, the FTC Act prohibits deception and unfairness so, in effect, the guides show what or give examples of what the FTC thinks could be an unfair or deceptive practice with respect to endorsements. Um, and the, the big change here, well, there are a few big changes, but the biggest change is um, with respect to bloggers is that the FTC has really made it clear that not only are advertisers on the hook, for deception surrounding um, endorsements that they procure, but bloggers could also be on the hook in certain circumstances.
0: How big of an issue is it as far as you're, you're concerned with bloggers being paid by a particular company or, or giving free product by a particular company? Is, is that something that's widespread?
1: You know, I know that there are services where bloggers are paid. They participate in sort of networks where companies can retain them to review their products, and and they are paid for their endorsements. Um, the free product side is also um, pretty widespread. Um, I, I do know of clients, companies that that you know names you've heard that do provide bloggers who are recognized bloggers known for reviewing products and reaching a wide audience that receive free product from companies with the understanding that hopefully they'll write a positive review of them. Um, the, the question of whether or not the guides would apply to both those scenarios, in the payment scenario the answer is definitely. If a company is paying a blogger to write a review, then absolutely the guides apply In the free product um, scenario, the answer is still probably yes, but it may be a little more nuanced than that and depend on the facts.
0: Since this uh, new updated guide has come out, there have been a lot of different reactions about it. There was a column in the New York Times uh, which said that more or less this is, this is fair. We expected this and, you know, let's abide by it. And then there's the other side where uh, people have said, well, our freedoms are being encroached on. This is the Internet. This is what blogging is all about. We should be able to say what we want. Where do you fall uh, in terms of those two spectrums?
1: You know, I fall more towards the New York Times side because, really, if you're familiar with advertising law, the guides don't deviate from what advertising law has always required. And and that is that a company can't permit a third party, you know, a blogger, an expert, a celebrity, to say something about its product that it cannot say directly. And and the law has also always required that material connections be disclosed. So if you have a consumer endorsing your product and you're paying them for that or you're giving them something else of value for that, the law has always said, you know, that material connection has to be disclosed because it matters to consumers. You know, it, it, it helps a consumer to give weight to what the endorser is saying if they know that the endorser has received something of value from the advertiser. So it's not a big deviation. I I think the outcry comes from the fact that the FTCs made it really clear that this is the policy, whereas before it was, you know, arguably a little fuzzy, um, at least maybe to industry a little fuzzy because there was nothing out there that said it specifically. But, um, you know, I think one thing that may give bloggers a little bit of comfort is at least in a footnote to, the, to its commentary on the revised guys, the FTC said even though a blogger can be held liable, it, it um, seemed to signal its intention that the FTC's focus will probably continue to remain on the advertisers themselves.
0: You know, I think that the, largely the fear factor that we're hearing uh, in reaction to this uh, decision that came out earlier this month um, comes from individuals who think, Uh, okay I'm an e-commerce merchant I'm a small company I I sent a product to a blogger for him or her to review and now I'm hearing about the potential for an $11,000 penalty. Um, that penalty was was something that was thrown out early, early on, and it, it keeps on getting repeated, $11,000 penalty. What is the likelihood that that would actually happen to one of our listeners or readers, a small e-commerce merchant who's operating within that space?
1: I think the likelihood is not great. I think that... Um, first of all whether or not the ftc would go after uh, a company for providing, you know, a free product, you know, a one-off and and then running into trouble because the blogger either didn't disclose the connection or made statements that the advertiser couldn't back up. I th- I think I think the ftc is likely to exercise a fair amount of prosecutorial discretion in in, in choosing its targets. That's not to say Companies shouldn't comply, regardless of their size or what they do. They, they should absolutely speak with counsel and take these guys into consideration. But on the eleven thousand dollar front, the the what would happen if a, if the FTC did investigate a company for allegedly violating the guides? The the most likely result, assuming that the company didn't choose to litigate the matter, is that the matter would. And in, an, in, in a consent decree, which is a settlement. And the settlement would, in my opinion, be highly unlikely to include any sort of financial penalty um, if we're just talking about a violation of the guides. So the most likely scenario is that the order would require the company to, going forward, comply with the law comply with the guides. And what the order would probably look like is um, it would probably look a lot like the guides. And so that would be the order containing injunctive relief. And the financial piece of it would would kick in if the company then subsequently violated the order. And if, if it did violate the order, then it would be subject to fines that are pretty steep of $16,000 Sixteen thousand dollars per day per violation.
0: Naturally, none of our listeners or readers want to run afoul of the law. So, are there some general guidelines that they should uh, be using when they're working with bloggers or reviewers that that maybe they didn't have to use before?
1: Absolutely, I think the the best guidance would be if the company is giving the blogger anything of value in exchange for the endorsement or the potential endorsement, it would be to get something in writing, requiring the blogger to disclose the connection, and also letting the blogger know or having the blogger agree that if the company found that the blogger said something that the company cannot back up, or if the blogger failed to disclose the relationship, the company would have some recourse, such as ideally... At requiring the blogger to remove the statement or add the disclosure. You know, another important piece of that, of course, is to know where the blogger's publishing. And so any written document should contain that. And and when I say written document, you know, it doesn't have to be something fancy. It doesn't have to be a long agreement. Even even something like an, an, an exchange of emails setting all of this out um, would would be a good way to go, and and then of course it doesn't end there. The advertiser should follow up and and check out what the blogger has written and and make sure that it he or she has done what the company asked for.
0: And I, I guess the key piece of information here is that both the blogger and the advertiser are on the hook. So it's mm-hmm. in, in both parties' best interest.
1: And that's a great way to spin it. Instead of it being that the company is imposing some sort of onerous requirements on the blogger that, that turns the blogger off, it can be presented as, you know, here's a way to help limit liability for both of us.
0: Julie, just finally, um, our listeners and readers, our, our small e-commerce companies, anything else that, that you see coming out of these guidelines, out of this decision that they should keep in mind?
1: Uh, you know, another, another good rule of thumb with bloggers is, y- you know, when you when you look at what they've written about what your product or service you know if they've said something purely subjective you know i like it i like the color i like the style something that that the advertiser itself wouldn't have to back up then we're in safe territory it, it only the, the potential for trouble comes in if the blogger's making really broad performance claims that somebody could misunderstand as applying generally and so I think that's another thing to keep in mind, and and I think too that probably not right away, but maybe within the next six months or so, we might start, or we will probably start to see some enforcement out of the FTC, and hopefully those cases will give us a little more concrete guidance on how they intend to uh, enforce these.
0: Julie O'Neill with the Washington DC office of the law firm Morrison and Forster and a former staff attorney for the FTC. Julie, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thanks, Kevin. My pleasure.
0: That's all the time we have for this week's e-commerce conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Please tune in next week for another new episode.